Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. Here with Dan Rudman. We're on to, well, I guess this would be considered episode number three in our series on revival. We started with an introduction, talking about Asbury, kind of gave our our thoughts. You know, we didn't want to weigh in too heavily, but we certainly did weigh in and kind of said, oh, you know, we're a little skeptical, but, you know, we can't really judge. We weren't there. But that, obviously, we use that as kind of a springboard into just a, a biblical and historical discussion um, an overview of revival. So last episode, we we talked about definitions. We literally listed uh, a number of definitions, probably, I don't know, 10 or more mm. definitions of, of different men who have written and talked about and studied revival uh, or, you know, over the last 100, 200 years and came up with kind of a working definition that we're going to kind of use and, and play with a little bit as we dive into the scriptures now and, and, and consider and maybe even build off of a little bit uh, we did even a word study of, of where we get this idea of, of revival from the Old Testament, looking at that, that Hebrew um, verb that, that can be translated as to revive, to live again, to live, you know, to bring back to life, whatever. Uh, so now we're, we're in the part of our series here where we're going to really look at biblical examples of where we see the people of God— revived. And so keep in mind that with our kind of working definition, revival has to do with God's covenant people. They're the God's people in general, you know, obviously you can have you could have let's just talk about the new covenant people of God, the church. Like yes, you can have a local church that's alive, but there may be people within that church that are spiritually dead, they're not actually saved, but nonetheless we talk about it as a living people, a people that are alive. So when we look at the Old Testament, we have the nation of Israel. They're God's people. We think about them as being alive in some sense. They they, they have this covenant relationship with Yahweh. Uh, God has revealed himself to them. He's given them his His law, his, his, his word. He's given them the Davidic king once we get to David. He's given them the prophets uh, who speak to them. And so when we think about, especially when we think about revival in the Old Testament, we see it often connected with usually a prophet or king mm. who who heralds or, or, or reclaims the word of God or the law of God and preaches, think of a prophet, preaches and heralds and confronts the people of God, the nation of Israel, with God's word and his law. And you see a revival take place. Well, I have a, I have a list here by one... Uh, noted author on this. And again, you could come up with different lists, but I think this is worth kind of going through. I was thinking yeah. about this, Sam. So these would be some characteristics. Again, general characteristics of, of these people, God's people, covenant people, yeah. who become dull to the Lord. So we're making a, um, I don't know if I'd say judgment, but we're saying these are covenant people. These are people that know God. Yeah. And Again, I'm tipping my I'm tipping further into our contemporary world, but we're think of the Old Testament covenant people. No, you're reading, and they, there's a sense of slothfulness. But if we were to take that to today's world, here here's kind of a, a general list: when prayer ceases to be a vital part of the Christians in the church's life, when the quest for biblical truth ceases, and one grows content with knowledge of eternal things without growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when biblical knowledge possessed or acquired is treated as an external fact and not applied inwardly. Mm. I always call that, th- I call that theory a lot. People yeah. think biblical truth of theory. We need to get dabbled. Well, no, no, no. It's supposed to grip me. 
yeah, you might right. think of it as like the ivory ivory tower theologian. Yeah, right. Uh, when earnest thoughts about eternal things cease to be regular and gripping, when services of the church lose their delights, when pointed spiritual discussions are an embarrassment, when sports, recreation, or entertainment become a larger part and necessary part of your life than the things of God, when sins of the body and of the mind can be indulged without an uproar in your conscience. Hmm. Like, like you can just entertain these things and you're not, you're, there's this dullness to it, including, uh, you know, even watching things, reading things. That you're like, nah, and it doesn't disturb you. Uh, when when aspirations for Christ-like holiness cease to dominate your life, uh, when the acquisition of money and goods becomes the dominant effort of your life, mm. when you can mouth religious songs without heart, uh, you can hear the Lord's name taken in vain, spiritual concerns mocked, and eternal issues flippantly treated and not be moved to indignation and action. Mm. You can watch a, a world mock God and it doesn't disturb you. You just kind of go with the flow. Uh, when breaches of peace and brotherhood are no concern to you. Isn't that, that's an interesting thing. Uh, yeah, I could say more. But certainly there's areas of, of sinfulness. Uh, we pardon our own sin and slothfulness and we're not concerned about conviction mm-hmm. and, and movement in that. Um, when you adjust happily to the world's lifestyle. Oh, yeah. You can kind of just embrace the world around you and think, oh, this is what everybody does, so I'll just go with the flow. Yep. Okay. It's easy. It's convenient. Yep. When injustice and human misery exist around you and you do little or, uh, to relieve the suffering or even concerned about it, when your church has fallen into spiritual declination and the Word of God is no longer preached with power and you're still content. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. When the spiritual condition of the world declines around you and you cannot perceive it. When you're willing to cheat your employer or your local your insurance company, <laughs> when you find yourself rich in grace and mercy and mar and marvel at your own godlikeness, <laughs> that's such a funny statement. Huh? When your tears are dried up and hard, cold spiritual fast of your existence cannot unleash them. Hmm. So there's a real sense. Okay, if I could sum that up, I would say it this way. You could say it this way. What is the great commandment? To love the God, love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah. And I would say that one of the um, affections that somebody, if somebody says, how do you know you're really converted? Yeah. You find stirring in your you, yourself, an affection. And the affection is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah. And you do think of that regularly. Yeah. Kind of saturates your life. It's not just, I mean, you're, you, you, you're stirred by even your failure to love God well. Hmm. But these eternal things, these things of God, are are forever on your mind. You watch a movie, and I don't mean just in a moral movie, but any movie, you're thinking through a grid. I would call it a, a, a Christian worldview. You, you're thinking of things Christianly. You're burdened about things Christianly. You have an affection of Christianity. That's not a superior Christian person. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is the way Christians are to live. Your, your first love, like yeah. the center of your thinking is Jesus. Yeah. And so many people are not used to having that, that they think what they're doing is normal. You know, and, mm-hmm. and the fact is, it's not normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. And either people are not converted, mm-hmm. or to this point, they've become so dull to God, they need to be revived. Yeah, yeah, and you would have that, as we think about the Old Testament, I mean, you, you, could, you could have generations 
of covenant transgression where, yeah. where people just don't even know in right. a sense are yeah. dull to the to the fact that they have been disobeying God's law. Yep. They've forgotten in a sense what it was even like to be in a in a a vibrant Yes, very good. a, a live community right. of of yeah. people obeying Yahweh and having him bless them. Right. And they think, well this is just this is Christianity. Yep. It's like, but well, open up your Bible and read. It's not no, that's not what these people were like. Yeah, yeah. they burned books. They yeah. they changed their life. They, yeah, there's lots of this. Uh, I'm recently doing a, a Bible study with a bunch of men on First John, and it's very interesting that First John, that first chapter, he talks about this idea of practicing the truth. Yeah, you know, truth is always a big deal for John. But yeah. it's like this truth isn't just like in your head. Like you live this out, you practice this, and you, he gets into this First John. How do you know you love God? How do you, how do you know you're connected to God? Because you obey Him. You, yep. you're burdened about the commandments. Yep. And yes, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the propitiation for our sins, all wonderful stuff. And that's true to cover us because we blow it. But the burden of the person who's been regenerated and has been sealed with the Spirit and is walking in the Spirit, and in this case, revived from a dullness, they were in this new place of revival. They're concerned about the commandments. They're concerned about pleasing God. Their life does center on that. They think about this pretty regularly, see? And so... So anyway, uh, I, I'm getting ahead maybe a little bit, but when you think of Old Testament, these are covenant people who are just going through the motions of life. They're more concerned with all these other things than the things of God. Right, right, right. right. Okay. And the prophet had to come right, and call them, say, wait, time out. Yep. This yep. isn't good. Yep. You even see with the judges too. I mean, yeah. The book of Judges is is book or book ended by this idea, and it's even throughout mm-hmm. the book itself. Like, oh, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Yep, there it is. Yep. And God would send a judge, and the judge wasn't even necessarily that great. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Try to steer him back, but yeah, as soon as the judge died, then the people would go back to doing what they did, and God would raise up another judge to remind them of the law yeah. of God and what God wants. And yeah, and he did that with the prophets too. And so yeah. Okay, let's look at some Old Testament examples now of where we see God actually doing some type of reviving with his people. The first one that we're going to look at is in 1 Samuel um, chapter 7, but we'll get, kind of give some background first. Uh, you know, this is before David, this is before the David king, this is before Saul was appointed king, so we're still technically in the time of the judges, though we're out of the book of Judges by this point. And Eli was was the priest, and he had these two wicked sons, um, and and God basically pronounces his judgment early in in First Samuel. Pronounces his judgment on these two sons. Basically, says he's going to kill them in the same day. Who's this? Hophni? Is that how you Hophni pronounce? and Phineas? Yep. 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 And he's going to raise up a priest who's faithful. Yep. And that that will be Samuel. We see he's calling in, in chapter three. But nonetheless, uh, Israel as as a nation, as a people, as the covenant people of God, they're they don't really have uh, a good leader at this point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Eli is supposed to hand over his leadership to his his two sons, and they're wicked and horrible. God's gonna kill them. Uh, they're battling the Philistines. The nation is they're they're fighting these battles against the Philistines, and they experience this this, this great defeat. Thousands of, of Israelites die. People are like, well, why did we, <laughs> why did we lose? Like we're God's mm-hmm. people. He goes up before us. He fights our battles, and so they decide that a good plan is, hey, let's uh, let's uh, 
take the Ark of the Covenant that represents and symbolizes the presence of God. Yeah. And let's let's march it out into battle with us and and that will, will win us the victory. That will be that will ensure yeah. that we will be victorious because God's presence is with us yeah. if we have the Ark. Well, of it the really was though, yeah. right? Oh, it, for sure. It was like a yeah. Yeah. In, in a real sense, yeah. The presence of God was there with the covenant, yeah, with, but who, with, with who, the Ark of the Covenant. Who, who were the two people that brought the Ark of the Covenant? Yeah, right. <laughs> These two wicked sons yep. of of Eli. And so they, you know, the the warriors are all encouraged and, 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 and emboldened because the Ark of the Covenant is is with them and they're cheering and shouting and the Philistines are are terrified because they're like, oh man, this is the, this is the God that, you know, totally upended Egypt and Pharaoh. Yeah. And, but what happens, the Israelites lose again and the Philistines actually capture and steal the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And they take the Ark of the Covenant. And, and then you have a couple chapters of, of, you know, chapters four and five and six, really, where it's just so interesting, you know, the, their false gods, their idols, start to like fall over in front of the ark. Yeah. And then all the people in their cities are, wherever the ark is are they're getting cancer, they're getting tumors. Yeah. They're <laughs> people are dying. Right. And they're like, we gotta get this out of here. Yeah. They recognize there's something about this thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, we screwed up. This isn't just a hunk of gold metal. Uh, right. uh it's not like our idols. Yeah. <laughs> there's something right. yeah. going on here. Yeah. And no, obviously, yeah, it is just a hunk of gold metal, but it's it it represents the the uh, the presence of God, and yeah. God actually did, in a sense, yep. in a special way, manifest Himself right in the ark and in the tabernacle. You know, we have all these amazing amazing images of of God's presence in the Old Testament. But anyway, the ark is returned, and Samuel is raised up as the next judge, really, of Israel. Because, um, again, we're not yet to the king, into the um, the monarchy. And so then when we get to chapter 7, the people are still, in a sense, in this kind of period of covenant transgression. Again, this is still the period of the judges, and, and people are still doing what's right in their own eyes. And starting in um, verse 1 of chapter 7, and the men of... Kareth, I, I'm not, I'm not pronouncing this right. Kareth, Jerim, came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill, and they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kareth, Jerim, a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, verse three, and Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the balls and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. So here we actually see, uh, you know, what we've been kind of talking about is a mark of revival of, like, you have this call to repentance and, and the people respond. And, and can I notice one yeah. thing just before the call to repentance, Sam in verse two? Yeah. 
uh, all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Mm. And so, however you want to uh, look at that, um, they long for God. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to get at. There, there's this... this We've ama- just experienced defeat. We've experienced the lack of God here. We, we, we need God. Right. And before that, well, I, mean, I forgot to mention it, but like... Um, there's this real reality that everybody knew the glory of the Lord, the, had, had the presence departed. of the Lord has departed because yeah. the ark is no longer with us. Right. God's not with us anymore. Yeah. And that is a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, and scary. Yep. And so, and they know that they're vulnerable. And, but so the house of the Israel lamented after the Lord. That's mm. all I thought was interesting. Yeah. Just, that's good. Uh, and they did it, it, it. It's a desperate cry for God's work. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that seems to be when we get into some other, the, uh, talking about revival again in church history you see this like god's people are at this place going like the first great awakening these honestly it's very interesting you're talking about contemporary you go to the first great awakening and they were seeing their kids walk away from the faith Mm. this is early 1700s it's really interesting the same sort of things they're watching their kids walk away from the faith they're like what's happening the church looks like it's dying you know what we had these you know well we'll get to that but there's even a couple of physical deaths of key prominent community members that were sudden and spontaneous like oh no like okay and that too uh, we'll talk about that yeah but. yeah so anyway i'm just saying though notice just precursor to samuel calling them to return to the lord for a long time at notice here uh, the time was long for it was 20 years and all the house of israel lamented after the lord yeah so the people at least a large majority of God's people are saying, "We've got to have God here. We right. lament for the Lord. We, 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 we. God, God, the glory must return. We, we, we're not going to solve this. We need, we need God. Okay. Yeah. So that just seems to be one of these elements. When we start talking about church history, you see God's people come to a place and go, "Wow, in God's providence, He's brought us to a place. Our backs are against the wall. Yeah, we're not going to solve this. Right. Our pragmatics, our." You know, little things are not going to solve this. This is beyond us. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. need God. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then verse 5, um, then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a, as a whole burnt offering to the Lord, and Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound, that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion and they were defeated before Israel and the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Beth Car. So what do we want to draw your attention to in this passage as it pertains to revival? Well, certainly this, this, this prayer, this idea of prayer and fasting and crying out to God. And and Samuel prayed on their behalf too. He mm-hmm. he did a proper, you know, offering of sacrifices. Yep. Um, you know, he's a true priest. He's a true judge. He's faithful to God. He's not like Eli's wicked sons, who were who were wicked priests who disobeyed God and were 
horrible men. So there's this return to proper order, proper worship, you could say. There's this there's this cry out to God. There's this prayer. This is fasting, spiritual devotion, spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in our New Testament context, we would say return to the means of grace. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's desperate. Yeah, they do feel desperate. Yeah, L- authentically. Yeah, yeah, and God. L- Listens. Them. Yeah, he meets them. He meets them, and he saves them right. from the Philistines. Yeah. And when he saves them, again, one of the emphasis goes, going back to our original definition, is is the presence of God shows up in such a way. Yeah. You know, it talks about this thunder, thunder, yeah. this thundering. The Philistines know. They're into this and they, confusion. They're in confusion now. So, so, so God actually does something here. And then, you know, as you read down there, you'll read more than, you know, the... Uh, 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 so, uh, yeah, let me hang on here again. I found it a minute ago. I was looking at it. Uh, okay, and the hand, this is verse uh, 13, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Mm-hmm. So even that terminology, the hand of the Lord right. was against the Philistines. Right. So you could say the presence of God yep. showed up and stood against the Philistines right. all the days of Samuel. Right. And they recognized it. Yep. Yep, it yeah. was it was something legitimate yeah. and real. Mm-hmm. So that's one example of of a type of revival in the Old Testament community. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example we'll we'll just do two. So this will be our last one from the Old Testament. This is the one that we brought up or mentioned in our introductory episode. This is the one that Kevin DeYoung mentioned, mm-hmm. and you hear sure. others mention it. But it's Josiah. I mean, this is like this is the classic, you know, the classic revival. I would say type uh, narrative in the sure. Old Testament. Sure. And the kings of Israel, first off, you know, you have a divided kingdom after Solomon. You have the northern, the northern, you know, kingdom, Israel, and then the southern kingdom, Judah. And all of the kings of Israel were wicked men. All of them. There was not one king who uh, was said to be righteous and, and follow the law of God and obey God. Now Judah had some, a couple, <laughs> couple faithful, a couple <laughs> faithful kings, and Josiah was one of them. But his father was not a good king. Uh, there had been generations of of wickedness and idol worship and transgressing of the law, and it, it was not good. So Josiah, starting in chapter twenty-two of Second um, Kings. He he came to assume the throne at eight, eight years old. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Now Josiah starts to repair the temple and and gets all these people, the carpenters and stuff and masons, to start doing some repairs. And then if we jump down to verse 8, uh, Hilkai, the high priest, said to Shaphim, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. So as they were making repairs on on the temple, they discover they discover the book of the law of the Lord. Like the, it, it was forgotten. It, it was lost for some reason, mm-hmm. Like which is really bizarre. Very, very bizarre. <laughs> and Hilkai gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, 
The secretary told the king, Hilkai, the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes and the king commanded Helkai the priest and Hakam, Haikam, the son of Shaphan and Akbor, the son of Machai and Shaphan, the secretary and Asiah's, Asiah, the king's servant saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So we'll just stop there. Um, as we keep saying, uh, revival is is a returning to the word of the Lord, mm-hmm. a returning to the law of God. Mm-hmm. And this is like, the epitome example because they literally didn't they totally even for like it seemed like forgotten that there was such a thing as the law of the lord yeah you know it wasn't even like on display as like a an old relic of the past like oh here is here's this book that we used to follow no they didn't even really have it it was buried in the temple and they found it and it was like oh what is this which is bizarre because in Deuteronomy 17, the the one of the main tasks or roles of the king of, of Israel is to make for himself a copy of the law and read it every day of his life. And his copy that he is to make of the law, it would be it would be um, affirmed or checked by the priests. To make sure it was right, and and this king was to study all the days of his life. And you go, wow! Like the priests don't have it, the king doesn't have it. Nobody is yeah. following the law of the Lord. Man. So this is quite um, hmm. an example of a need for revival. Yeah, they've lost. They certainly have lost the word of God and therefore lost the obedience to the word of God. Yeah, you, how can you obey the word if you don't even yeah. know the word? Yeah, and that's think kind about of, it. Think yeah. about it. This is serious, right? Yeah. Well, think <sighs> about our churches today. Do we know the word? And do we know it? Or is it even being preached? Yeah. Do we know these key doctrines of our Christian faith? Yeah. Right? That's something we talk about all the time in our podcast. Yep. You know, God's there and he actually spoke. Do we actually believe that? Are we going to build our system based on the fact of what God says versus bringing in all these other ideas? And we've labored that over and over and over, so I don't need to do that again. But in a sense, we're, you know, we're jumping ahead, but that's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. They, they are not obeying the Word of God because they're ignorant of the Word of God. They're not even paying attention to it. In fact, I, I thought of this, Sam, the other day. I heard somebody was telling me they they left one particular church and they went to this other church. And they went to the other church because the other were church were, you know, were allowing women preachers. And I'm not laboring that with you right now. I mean, we've already touched on that. Scriptures are really clear about that. But what was interesting to me was he, he left the other church that didn't have, he left a church that didn't have women preachers. Mm-hmm. This fellow and his wife went to a new place that, did have women preachers. And he said, yeah, those people over there, they, they just believe that old-fashioned stuff. Ugh. And I just thought it was interesting. I asked this old-fashioned stuff, and I'm like, well, before you just say old-fashioned stuff, you might want to see what God's Word has to say about this, because God hasn't changed. And I just thought it was interesting, because these are these are neat people. If you met them, they're, you know who I'm talking about. They're just, you know, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't. Yep. 
they wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. I'm, you know, I'm careful with that. But like, they're they're nice people. They're good people. They're good church going people. And I thought, I don't think he's ever taken the time. And of course, he would maybe not even a church that taught it real clear, of, you know, what to do with this. What's the what's God's word call us to do in this? Yeah. And so he, I just thought it was interesting. I was in a setting where somebody, this person said this, and I thought, you know, I didn't even argue. I just was listening. And I thought, isn't that interesting? They just think this is some old-fashioned thing. And I know I think we brought them another podcast, but this was more recently just, you know, yeah. in, the, in the area here. I thought, isn't that interesting? I'm like, but before you say it's just this old-fashioned thing, have you ever thought about actually reading what the Bible says? Right. And you realize they probably really haven't. No. Well, really, you, you they, listen, and they haven't been in a setting that actually taught them. They they haven't even taken the time. I just thought it was interesting. You listen right? to the sermons of so many, uh, you know, pastors in your typical evangelical churches today. It's it's. I mean, they might be twenty minutes tops, first of all. But yeah. I mean, they are just they're just not exegetical. They're not right. biblical. They're right. not opening up the scriptures and actually. Right. Drawing out meaning and application from the right. It's it's stories, it's anecdotes. So, so it's, again, we're we're tipping a little bit ahead, but that's that's what's going on with Josiah. There's a void of the word of yeah, God. Yeah, where's the word? Where's where's God's oh, word? Here it is. It's under oh, this. Oh, we didn't even know it was here. Yeah, it's under this some rubble here yeah, in the basement right. of the temple. Whatever. Blah blah blah. Oh, right. what's this? Dust this off. <laughs> yep. What the? Yep. Let's read it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's almost like comical. You go, what on earth? And Josiah is convicted, and he is, yeah. like, cut, and he's like, oh, no, we are under God's wrath. Yep. Like, we are in deep, deep trouble. Deep, deep trouble. I'm going to jump. I mean, we could read a lot of this, but it'll take a lot of time. I don't want to just, you know, read everything. But let's see what he does, though. Josiah, jumping down to chapter 23. Yeah. Uh, Early on, right? Verse 4. Yep, there you go. Yeah, yep. and the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the keepers of the threshold, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. So they <laughs> had stuff in the temple of the Lord to these hey, false gods. Yeah, can I stop you one yeah. step there? I think you almost... It would be good. I know you're. Tr- we're trying to. Well, we're trying to skip through, and you can't cover it all. I know, but tough. I do think it's important. Verse three. Yeah. Um, the king stood by the pillar. This is the the re- the the word is now being read to him. Yep, okay. Yep. But look what he does. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. I just think that's important. Mm. He stood before the God and said, "We're going to make a covenant here to walk with the Lord and yeah. he keep His commandments." Yeah. So he's resolute. Yep. That's even a repentance. We've blown this, and we need to get right in step with God in his word. Yep. Okay, so think of repentance of sin and saying we need to make this right. Right. So then going down to your point, yeah, verse 4 then, he, yeah, yeah. That, now he's doing it. Yeah, he takes these vessels. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes yep. to Bethel. He burned them. Uh, verse 5, he deposed... And he deposed the priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem, those also who burn incense to Baal, uh, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of heaven, and brought out Asherah from the house of Lord of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people." You know, I, I just going to pause there. It reminds me, too, of, of Moses coming down from the mountain and the people had <laughs> decided to, to make an idol because, you know, this our our leader Moses, we don't know where he went. So let's just uh, 
Let's just make an idol and worship it and say, this is the God that saved us from Egypt yeah. with the golden calf. And what does Moses do? He, he, what does he do? He, he like burns the idol and then he, it turns into dust and he, and he makes the people drink it. <laughs> but there's this idea of like. <laughs> you and your funny little laugh. <laughs> yeah, we're, well, we are. Well, well, actually look at verse five though. He did away with the idolatrous, idolatrous priests. Yeah. It looks like do away with is like he did away with. Oh, I bet. Uh, I think mean, of, it's what uh, it looks think like. Think of Elijah the word, on the word, the word means, you know, cease to exist. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like. Yeah, he probably killed Or him. Samuel with uh, Ahag. Like, right. oh, no, yeah, we're going to no. chop him to pieces. Yeah, I think something happened there. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, oh, man, you can draw out so many applications. And we keep jumping to our context, which is fine. But think of think of F, the Church of Ephesus. We're going to get to this in a little bit. I'm just kind of giving a bit of a preview yeah. here. But this idea of like, no, Timothy, I'm going to send you to Ephesus, Paul. Yeah. Sending him to Ephesus to put the church in order there because it's being attacked by false teachers and... It's like, no, silence them. Silence these people who promote destructive heresies yeah. and speculations and myths and yeah. lead people astray and take advantage of of of, of these of church Isn't that interesting, Sam? We talked about that in the, in, in the podcast tour ago. I was, I, I was struck recently, and I said it when we were just talking like this, when I was reading First and Second Timothy, that the number of people that Paul calls out by name. Yeah. I mean, he really does. He's yeah. just like, no, no, no. You need to call that guy out. He's wrong. Right. He call them out, and we talked about that. Like, yeah, and that's sort so, of what's going. That's what's going on here. Josiah's going. Wait a minute. These these people have not been teaching truth. No, and they are false. They are idolatrous. Yep, and they need to be done away with. Yep. So we. Could, so I mean, you could see, you could be on the nice side and say, oh, he just did done away with their position and fired them. But I don't yeah. think that's actually what happened here, right? It looks no. like it looks like he li- <laughs> no. it looks like he literally killed them. Yeah, not, no, yeah. that doesn't mean that our application is we got to kill our. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> we're gonna get in trouble yeah. now. Like but, we're we're calling for off of their heads. No, it, no, an, no. But they do need to be removed from leadership, and things need to happen. Like no, no, no. Either you repent, or you just can't be here. Yeah. And well, we're, again, we're so afraid to do that. Yeah. Well, this is high, 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 high level stuff. Like. Yeah. I mean, that's a part of revival, we could say, is like... Yeah, we're dealing with real stuff. Real stuff. And, and when we get serious with God like that, I mean, we're talking real, about revival. That, and, and again, that's that's the point of the revival thing, folks. It's not just a, it's not just a little game we play. It's like the serious lamenting, mm-hmm. serious recognition that we've failed, mm-hmm. serious recognition we're God's people, but we haven't obeyed his word. We haven't taken it in. We haven't been serious about it. And there's an there's there's a serious repentance of that, a serious full bore. We're going to own this and repent. Mm-hmm. And as we'll see, especially when we get into history, it seems like certainly that's a work of God on the front end, right? It takes His Spirit to bring us to that place of conviction. Yeah. So you know, that's going on. Yeah. But there's this response of God in that. Yeah. Right and yep. and again manifest presence. It seems like God shows up. Yeah. Okay. Verse seven, and he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord. Uh, think about that. Like in the house of the Lord, who were in the house of the Lord. Like think about just how deceptive and gross Satan is. Is he just wants to bring this wickedness right right into the the most sacred parts of our uh, of of our life and and the you know, the community of God and the people of God where the women 
uh, well, hangings for the Asherah. Oh, it makes me think of these these stupid churches who they they'll make they'll uh, do uh, stained glass windows and murals in their churches to that uh, of the LGBTQ community and hang these fl- LGBTQ rainbow flags on their churches and. I hadn't even thought about that. Hanging yeah. on the flags. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, right, right. my goodness. And you go, what? Like, okay, yeah, yeah. I guess nothing's new under the sun. Yeah. That's what they did here. Let's let let's bring our wickedness and our wicked ideologies right in right inside. Let's yeah. just get it right up nice and close yeah. to where God is supposed to dwell. Yeah. Ugh. Yep. And he brought um, all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from uh, Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, uh, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Moloch. And he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. Look at this, burning their children, offering to Moloch, uh, uh, horses dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And, and he burned the chariots of the sun with the with fire. Like they had chariots dedicated to the fire. They had horses de- or chariots dedicated to the sun, horses dedicated to the sun. They were worshiping the sun. The, the people of God, the, you know, Israel, the ones who had, you know, been revealed the law of God. I mean, it's unbelievable. And the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made and the altars of Manasseh, and made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, he pulled down and broke in pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtaroth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, uh, and the abomination of Moah, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the Asherim and filled their places with the bones of men. I mean, he is just going to town. Yeah. But the whole point, we could keep, even keep going. He keeps going. Right. But we'll just stop there. But the point is, is like when revival comes. Right. I mean, it is real change. Yeah. There, there isn't this. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, maybe something happened. Maybe God's working in some way. I don't, we don't really know. You know, we say that because we don't want to be like overly critical. But when you read an example like this. Yeah. Like. Things got done. Yeah, Leaders you know. Leaders were, were right? bad leaders were taken out. Altars and and idols. Yes. And and horses and chariots and all these things that are even dedicated to the yeah. sun. Yeah. False gods were were destroyed and done away with. Uh, you know, I I don't need to go to another passage, but you could read and, and I think in your show notes. You're going to list some passages people can read. But if you really want to study this and get gripped with it, you know, read even Ezra 10. Ezra was praying and making confession, weeping, prostrating himself before the house of God, a very large assembly, men and women gathered. And they realized uh, we have been unfaithful to our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of Israel. And those women and children were set aside. You can't be married to them anymore. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm not sitting here saying any of this, how, how do we prescribe this to our day, right? Yeah. The issue that you're bringing up is how serious it is that we actually see our sin before God and God's people are willing to do whatever needs to be done to make sure this gets cleansed, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not just like you said, Sam, I think what you're alluding to a little bit is like, it's not just, well, we kind of repented, we kind of didn't, or we kind of call things. We, If the presence of God actually shows up in this kind of conviction, yeah, and that's what I was saying earlier, I'm always gripped with like this manifest presence. I can't get enough of that. It's like, it's both and. It's one that people are serious with God and lamenting over their sin, but it's almost like that can't occur unless it's a work of the Spirit in the first place. And so, um, you know, in, in, together with that, that conviction comes because people are increasingly sensing the presence of God here, and we have to deal honestly with our sin. Yeah. And it does change things. People yeah. actually repent, you know. It's Paul talking about, I know you just didn't have a God or, or just a worldly sorrow. You had a godly sorrow. How do I know you had an actual godly sorrow when you he's speaking to the Corinthians? Because you repented, you changed. Yeah. I saw you actually do something yeah. and change. And when we go back to, again, we don't want to reflect too much, but because we weren't there and I don't know everything that's going on, but that was the question like with Asbury or any place. It's like, but are these people, is there this, not just... We're feeling the love of Jesus. Okay, great. But like, are you under conviction for the areas of your life that are sin? Sin, And are people actually going out and changing and walking away from sin and doing the most radical, serious things in their life? Maybe leaving jobs, maybe leaving schools, maybe completely altering their life because they're under the conviction of God. Mm-hmm. Right, that's that's what that's what we're seeing here in these Old Testament examples, and I think the term I think Kevin DeYoung used the term you used the term Sam, um, a return to or reclaiming of piety. Yeah, right. Yeah, Kevin DeYoung did use that. Yeah, yeah I think he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so yeah, let's think about that. Let's just try to like um, kind of boil it down. You know, we only looked at a couple examples in the Old Testament. We could have example after example yeah, of God of sending a prophet and and him proclaiming the word. And yeah. so then, what would we say then? Okay, when when God does show up and there is some type of revival going on and a, mm-hmm. being brought back to life, you were mm-hmm. alive and you kind of drifted away or died, and now you bring back bring are being brought back to life by the Spirit of God and His manifest presence with His people. Uh, what are the what's the products of that? Like what's mm-hmm. we've we've hit on them, but let's just kind of summarize it sure. and put it in a nice neat little package. Yeah. Like okay, what what happens? What's going on? We could call what are the blessings of revival? Yeah. Again, there's there's a couple things, but there's something going on. There's like firewood being stacked up, and God is coming down with the fire on the firewood, and the firewood is there's this sense of seeking God. It starts with this: we need God. Yeah. And it moves then to prayer. Yep. Seems to be the two key things. Same old thing that we've seen, seeing Acts and everything else. We're going to devote ourselves to what? Preaching and prayer. Yep. Preaching the word. And prayer. And prayer. There's this sense of corporate prayer that often is tied even with fasting. It's that serious. It's this yep. serious, we need to seek God and we may spend hours seeking God even. Not, again, in a formulaic way, but yep. yes, we can't stop 
meeting with God. And yeah. sometimes those meetings go late into the night historically. Yeah. So a serious corporate pursuit of God in prayer. And then a, what we're seeing here, like even with Josiah, but you could say a preaching of the word, a reclaiming of the word of God, a proclamation of the word of God, a response to the, the, the Bible being, the word of God being laid before the people. Yeah. So preaching and prayer, and in that, yeah, the manifest presence comes, and obviously there's there's um, conviction of sin, yep, right, which which then corresponds or lays with re- real repentance. Yep, it's a conviction, but it's a repentance. It's a turning from sin. Yep, right, and uh, uh, we could say in that returning. Uh, there's also a returning to the word, which yep. is all part of that, right? There's a pencil. Hey, we we haven't been true to the word, so there's a reclaiming of the word of God, if you will, um, a, a pursuit of life that has to do. You could call it holiness, yep. right? Uh, walking in the truth. I, I, we need. We're going to obey God and whatever He calls us to obey, right? Yep. Uh, what was you, you were reading Spurgeon earlier? He 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 talked about this. The serious attack against Satan's kingdom. Isn't that how he actually referred to it? Was that Spurgeon? Um, or was that somebody else you were reading? Well, I was, I'm, I'm reading, I'm looking at this Armstrong book again, True Revival. Okay. He has uh, he has five okay, go blessings ahead. Of, of revival. Yep. Uh, one is a reinvigorating of true piety. So we said that. Yep. Kevin DeYoung's mentioned that too. And we yep. see that. With, yeah. with Define that. For people, piety. Uh, piety is like uh, a devotion to to the things of the Lord, yeah. scripture, prayer, right. spiritual disciplines, right. holy life. Like we're going to take sin seriously. We're going to live a holy life. Yeah. We're going to uh, apply yep. scripture. Yep. Piety has to do a lot with the application of the word, yep. not just a knowledge of the word, but right. a living it out. Yep. So yeah, a reinvigorating of true piety. You could say it's an obedience. Um Blessing to a direct attack upon Satan's kingdom. Oh, that was where it came from. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, think about with Josiah, like, you know, yeah, all these idols and, and these yep. cult prostitutes and these yep. Ashtaroth and all this stuff and offer, I mean, offering your children to Moloch, like what, what, like yeah. that's all satanic. Yeah. That's all satanic. That is a product of, of satanic deception and yeah. satanic power. And so when, when revival comes, you know, Josiah... Yeah. We're going to burn this stuff. We're going to destroy it. We're going to get it out of here, and we're gonna yep. we're gonna get rid of all this satanic garbage. Yeah. And so, yeah, like when 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 Christians today in the New Testament community experience revival, like yeah, I mean, obviously we're fighting a spiritual battle, um, and we might not necessarily have like you know uh, the idol sitting on our shelf that we bow down to every night i mean some people in in the world you know yeah. buddhists hindus whatever they might literally actually have those that you know when revival comes uh yeah there might be a, a getting rid of those types of things yeah but nonetheless we're uh think about just your life uh what you watch i mean think i think this is a big issue today with with western christians and american christians of you know, where are we putting our eyes? Like, what are we watching? What shows yeah. are we watching? Yeah, that's what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. things like that. Like When we know. made that list. Yeah, we get dull to that. And we yeah. think, oh, it's not too bad. It's rated this or that. No, yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. Though. Is this a holy thing? It might become a, uh, when you're under revival or in experiencing yeah. revival, you might have a heightened sense of, oh, crap. Like, I shouldn't be watching this. Like, right. I am putting filth into me. 
Right. And maybe <laughs> I won't be putting this into me anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Let's see here. Blessing number three, high, uh, the highest esteem for the scriptures. Of course. We've yeah, been we, we said that. Yeah. that, you know, highest esteem for the scriptures. For like, the this word of God. is yep. God's very word without error, absolutely authoritative. Yeah. My, like, life to me. Like, yeah. Jesus is getting, getting tempted in the wilderness and... and 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 what does he do? He yeah. he quotes scripture every time yeah. to combat the temptation of Satan. And he even says, "Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God." Yeah, like this is life to me. Sure, I, I need this. Uh, for blessing, for revival leads people into the truth. Yep. Oh, that's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that goes hand in hand with scripture. Because scripture yeah. is the truth. So, so what are you laughing at? I know. Well, I'm I, just, I know what you're laughing at. Yeah, you know what I'm laughing. At. I'm just thinking about you know our our examples. We think about Asbury, and I don't really know, but there are there might be some instances where I don't know, like there, you, you like certain theological positions, certain beliefs about sin and identities and things like that. Yep. You know, to be kind of ambiguous. Uh, like you go wait. You well, know. well, Childers said it. Alyssa Childers said it, the the cultural zeitgeist. Yeah. And what she means by that is there's lots of beliefs floating around right now that yep. have been embraced even in the evangelical yep. Bible churches. Yep. Oakness, CRT, LGBTQ. A lot ideology. of these things that are like, wait a minute, you got to think that through because they're just unbiblical. They're ungodly. Yep. And they're not true. Yep. And you need to turn from them. Yep. Well, I, and and I would even throw in that boat too. Just just egalitarianism in general. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and how that's how even egalitarian is really just an acceptance of feminism. Yeah, exactly. And reshaped, call it, make it palatable for Christianity. Yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah. But it's actually feminism. It's feminism. Which it's false. We, which was you know again we've talked plenty about oh, yeah, that. We're not talking that. about the high view of women. We have a high view of women. We just don't have a high view of feminism, right? Like, yeah. Oh, so I mean, I'll okay. put I'll put my neck out on the chopping block. I'll say. Wait. Go, <laughs> I'll just that? say you know if a church. Is going to experience some revival, and they have a woman pastor. And after the revival, they still have a woman pastor. I don't know. Something hasn't. Some wires aren't. You know, yep. being connected right here. Something's not right. It's putting your neck on the line. Uh. Huh? Well, but it's it's a biblical reality of reclaiming the truth. Yeah, exactly. You want to say you're undergoing a revival, and and again, back to Josiah, you haven't dealt with your improper leadership. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what else? Let's see. Blessing number five, an increase in love for God and people, of course. Yeah, love yeah. God, love neighbor. Right. You know, you say you, you're experiencing revival. Yep. And and um, you're still neglecting, you know, the weak and the sick, and you're not helping your brother in need. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of examples of that in Jesus' ministry of, sure. you know, the good Samaritan and all that type of stuff. But, yeah, those are... Uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards too had f- uh, five marks or blessings of revival. Very similar. Yeah, he said uh, Christians will have a diminishing love for worldly pleasure, profits, yep. and honor. Two Christians will be increasingly weaned from pursuing the material. Yep. <laughs> Three, a deep concern about eternity and the eternal. Did you list this already? Do you read these? No, go ahead and read them. A deep concern about eternity and the eternal eternal happiness that comes right. solely through the gospel of Christ will abound. Mm-hmm. Four, people will earnestly and profoundly seek God's kingdom and righteousness above all else. Mm-hmm. Five, those revived will be deeply aware of the awfulness and guilt of sin as well as the misery which it brings. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. 
those are a reflection of some of those that list I read earlier yep. written, written by a guy. It's also very similar. Yep. yep. Yeah, we're kind of being redundant here. Let's just, as we wrap up this episode, you know, we spent most of the time in the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, New Testament. Now, I've read that there really isn't an example, a real, a, like a good example of revival in the New Testament. I've even heard it said that it's because, well, the, the whole New Testament uh, it, in our epistles yeah. and acts is one big giant revival. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's you a know, short. It's actually a short period of time, technically, in a certain way. Yeah, very short period of time. You know, we're talking. You know, Christ, and then you start thinking of the writing of the epistles, and we're talking twenty or thirty years. Yeah. And so, yes, some would call the entire New Testament. I've heard. I've heard it even said like a textbook on revival. Sure. Sure. And there's these supernatural things going on, yep. but all of these these pieces are laying there. Yep. You have a heightened sense of devotion. Uh, you know, think of Acts 2 after Pentecost. And, you know, we can have this discussion. Was that a revival? Was that just conversion? Yeah, new work. Yep. And, yeah. And obviously there was conversion. Um, but nonetheless, the people after that, you know, they they met daily. Mm-hmm. They, they sold all their possessions right. and, and nobody had any need. Like right. there was this like heightened sense of spirituality and devotion that we would say is abnormal almost. Yeah. You could say that the blessings are the effects of what we would call a revival. They're 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 there. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, but yeah, the church is being built. So much of the New Testament is is kind of in this context of of just conversion, church yeah. planning and 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 the young the zeal that is so evident with young believers. So that that might be just a product of that, but you know, as we've been kind of defining revival as, as you were alive, you're drifting away, yep, and then you need to be brought back. Right. So, so what we start to kind of see some of these churches mm-hmm. drifting, right? You know, they've been they were planted by Paul, maybe. Like think of the Church of Ephesus. I mentioned Timothy in Ephesus. Uh, think of the Corinthians, yep. like founded, planted, built up, and all of a sudden they start to drift away, and Paul has to. You know, write them a letter telling them to return. He has to go there and and and, and correct some of their wonky ideas, and or he'll send Timothy. He sent Timothy to Corinthian to the Corinthians. He sent Timothy to Ephesus. He sent Titus to the Corinthians. He sent Titus to Crete, and and uh, that's where this really fits well with our ministry of ambassadors for Christ. Because really what we kind of think of is, you know, we say we seek revival in the church. Like we we believe that the work of the evangelist, part of the work of the evangelist is the sense of of reviving the church. And, you know, we're, again, keep in mind, we're not saying that we can amp this up or or create revival, mm-hmm. but, but we know that revival comes through a, the proper preaching of the word of God. Yeah. So when we say we're, where you're seeking revival in the church, what we what we mean is we want to be uh, men who preach God's word truthfully, powerfully, accurately, and and knowing that that is the way in which uh, God you know revives the churches through the correct preaching of the word. But you get to uh, the end of the New Testament book of Revelation. You know we're at, we're at the end of the first century by this point. John gets this revelation as he's exiled on the island of Patmos. Patmos or Patmos? How do you pronounce that? I'm not sure you pronounce anything real good I think, there, Sam. <laughs> you know, I was reading, you You're know, great I was at reading, reading Second Kings, yeah. 
I think there were so many names in there, and I think like I don't think I pronounce one one of yeah, these. Yeah, I know. Names I'm right. always laughing at you. Like I have I never don't. heard pr- some people pronounce the way you did. I thought, well, maybe you're right. And there, the no, other people I'm are. not right. That's for sure. Yeah, okay, that's right. <laughs> I'm horrible at pronunciation and horrible at spelling. Yeah, so anyway, we laugh at that. But keep anyway, going. Yeah. Pat Moss. Pat Moss. Pat Moss. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. Anyway. So is it Missouri or Missouri? Uh, it depends on where you're from. <laughs> I say Missouri. Yeah. Anyway, you get these seven letters written to the seven churches in Asia. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are real, real letters uh, written to real churches during that time. Yeah. And I mean, we're only, we're only by the end of, you know, the first century, we're only what, 50, 60, 70 years. Seven, at the most 70 since Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Since yeah. Christ. So, you know, by that point, yeah, not even not even uh, a century, and you already have churches severely drifting away that are, are being called by Christ to return, to repent. Yeah. And we don't, we don't get the resolution of that because, you know, the book of Revelation is our, you know, it's the, it's the final inspired book of Scripture. Right. We don't have any further revelation. So we don't, we don't have... Uh, Maybe I mean we can maybe search in um, some of the church fathers and church history, church yep. history, and see. Yeah, it seems like some of the churches repented. Yeah, sure. mm-hmm. but nonetheless, like those examples, Ephesus, you know, uh, uh, Sardis, Sardis, yeah, Laodicea, Laodicea, yeah. yeah, like they are they they are ripe examples of like churches in need of a revival. Yep, they need it. Yep. Now, did it come? To some of them, maybe. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily no, but nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. So is is revival in the New Testament? Uh, kind of. Yeah. Kind of not, depending how you see it. But we certainly see the need for it at the end. Is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Sure. Sure. Anything else you want to say on that? Otherwise, no. We, wrap we just up wanted. This one? No, I think you know when we originally talked about this, we wanted to take a few sessions and talk about this a little bit to give some definition, but. We, I think what you're saying is that biblically we could go and see these examples where it seems like there's a heightened awareness of, or certain certainly the outcome is the heightened reality of the manifest presence of God. Yep. That's bringing about a piety to the people, a pursuit of holiness, a conviction of sin, a turning from sin. There's an effect on that body of mm-hmm. God's people. And then there becomes, we'll increasingly see when we look at history, that uh, an effect on the world around them, both in, in their mission and in, even in their way of loving the society and yep. being engaged in society. And society's changed. Yep. Uh, that happens. Yep. And we have these biblical examples. So we're saying, no, revival seems real. Right? Yeah. Revival seems to be, if you want to, using our definitions, there yeah. seems to be these times and... We sit in good company of a lot of theologians for many years. Yep. The preachers, theologians who would say, no, 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 this is a real phenomena. So, you know, coming back full circle to Asbury, we're saying, no, these, these phenomena can be very real. They're, they're very real experiences. Is Asbury, well, now we're trying to look at this biblical grid and trying to assess what's going on. We're not there, as we said, so we're being very cautious. But mm-hmm. certainly it's something we should be longing for, something looking in our churches, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Moving towards doctrinally sound places and preaching and prayer and mm-hmm. repentance mm-hmm. and calling ourselves to seriously pursue those things. Yeah. Yep. Well, we'll call it good for this one. Our next episode, our episodes will be on a survey of 
revival in, in church history. Yeah. So actually looking, looking at, at a few. Yeah. yeah look, what we would call, you know, real revivals. You know, they have these names, you know, named after a location or whatever. Yeah. So we'll look at a few examples of some, you know, supposedly real revivals in, in history and see what was going on. Yeah. But again, thanks for listening to the Preach and Persuade podcast. Uh, again, you can visit our website, afci.us, to, to learn more about the ministry that Dan and I do with Ambassadors for Christ International. Uh, you can you can give a donation on that website uh, to either of our ministries. Uh, you can also leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or, or Spotify or whatever you're listening to this podcast on. If you leave a rating, that would be awesome. Or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. I think that's what people say. <laughs> but again, thanks for listening and tune back in as we continue this discussion. Bye.